Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name's Alexi. And my name's Sam. Joining us today is Carl, newer router of CME. That means Chicago Music Exchange. Chicago Music Exchange is almost a Chicago institution at this point for the music community. They sell vintage gear ranging from acoustic guitars, which we'll talk a lot about, electric guitars, amplifiers, drums, bass, you name it. If you're a musician, that's the place for you. And if you're ever looking for the members of Hammerfall before their show at the <laughs> Riviera or the Aragon or wherever they're playing nowadays. That's the spot. That's where they are. Or any musician. Even really. when it's raining really, really hard outside <laughs> without umbrellas, that's where they were. They will be right there. All right, guys, we're just going to dive right on into it. Let's, Let's dive, dive and, and get, get heavy. heavy. I think there's like a dev, like a demon dogs over there or something like that. Well, the demon dogs is like east, and then there's a couple devil dogs now. I don't know if it's the same guy. Totally. Is different. that the one in Wicker Park, like right at yeah. the, the intersection there? Okay. Well, and then there's well, there's also uh, a devil dogs. There's two other ones. The the thing that was by DePaul. I can't believe that you remember that. That was a long oh, yeah. time ago. Dude, that was my Were you favorite. Like five years old when uh, that happened. He closed <laughs> well well after I was five years old. But that was like my dad and I would come downtown and go get hot dogs there. That was our favorite spot. Mm -hmm. So like I have so many memories coming down to Chicago, getting hot dogs, going to the lake, going to the zoo, mm. going to the like whatever. And just like eating hot dogs, feeding pigeons, french fries in the fucking parking lot. This was you awesome. were one of those people that feeded fucking pigeons. Hey man, when you're like, when you're five years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that place was awesome, man. You yeah. can't read the side, do not feed. Do not feed pigeons. pigeons you know, yeah, yeah I guess if you're that young, you can't read, so you're not <laughs> obligated to uh, follow the rules, right? Yeah, no, rules don't apply. You're then when right. I was old enough to read them, my, my next younger brother wasn't, so then he started throwing french fries out the car window. And, it was like family conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pigeon shitting on the car. Dad loved it. It was good. Because you know, as soon as you throw them out the car window, now they're on the car. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. Uh, this is a total. This is a total dive. But there was a study that Harvard did, that someone from Harvard did years ago about pigeon feeding. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll get into the pot after yeah. this after this breakaway. <laughs> but um, every day at eleven o'clock during a summer, they would fe they would like feed the they would like throw a bunch of food out on the uh on the uh football field and fire like a or fire like a a horn or something every day every saturday at 11 o'clock for the entire summer so first day first game of the year is against yale harvard's big uh big rival 11 o'clock rolls around everyone's God. there and uh that same noise goes off and all the <laughs> pigeons descend on the field. Oh, man. They had to cancel the game. <laughs> of course, that oh was like God. someone's dissertation. Yeah, yeah. that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh, I that's love like that. like my worst nightmare of all time. <laughs> Should we dive in? Yeah. You hey, ready? Carl. Yo. Welcome to Heavy Hops. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Really yeah. to be here. I've got this some delicious beer. This stout is... is Delicious. Yeah. This, I, is, this has been sitting in the um, <laughs> in the heavy hops uh, refrigeration uh, section our, our, for, our for, system. for our cooling <laughs> system for uh, a couple weeks right now. Um, and I'm glad we finally opened it up because we've been waiting, waiting uh, for the seemingly right guest. forever for the right <laughs> guest. And 
I think you're the guy for it. I don't know what I did to deserve that, but I'm thrilled. You showed up. <laughs> yeah, you just show, you, you showed up. <laughs> you showed up. This episode's being recorded on the Wednesday on the in-between election. So you ah. showed up uh, on a day that no one else would. So thank you. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I could have sworn I heard you say because I'm the most like interesting guest you've had. That is the, what you the heard. The most handsome Yes, that so, is that's code for what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's you I, heard that right. That's that's how I'm logging this in my head. Beautiful. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, we're here now. We're drinking some sick beer. Um, you want to kind of give us some background on who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I work at the Chicago Music Exchange uh, in Lakeview. I run the acoustic guitar department with my partner Josh. Um, and we specialize typically in high-end vintage acoustic guitars. Um, and that's all I do is acoustics. I really don't do much with electrics or amps or anything like that. But it's um, partly designing guitars with uh, certain manufacturers. And before COVID, it would entail going out to the factory and like getting to handpick through all the different woods that they have there and like hold them up and like tap them and listen to them. And, trying to pick out the most resonant or the, the prettiest or what have you. And um, so that was, that was pretty cool. And that's certainly something that I missed, but uh, now we can still do it remotely. But um, so yeah, it's that it's going after vintage gear uh, and just helping people find acoustic guitars, helping them find that exact thing they're looking for. Kind of. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of times people kind of concoct this guitar sound in their head. Uh -huh. And it's nothing that they've heard on a record or live before, like ever in person, but it's, they, they have this sound um, and it's impossible. Like you can't recreate that. You can get kind of close. Right. But then oftentimes, most of the time, those people actually end up going with something like completely different. <laughs> or somebody will come in and say, oh, I need uh, a Martin D18. Like I need, I need this dreadnought because I was told that I need it. Uh -huh. And they, they end up going with like the antithesis. Uh -huh. of that guitar um so it's just kind of listening to what people want like sometimes people just want a new guitar and they don't know what kind they just want to find shit that makes them have uh i call them like an aha moment mm -hmm. like where it does the thing and that's like all you can speak to it yeah like it, it works you know yeah so working with people to find that thing is, is really really cool especially when you nail it and they're like holy shit that's it <laughs> so it is the, that moment where you have it, you know, because as a guitar player, I remember when I played my Jaguar for the first time, there was that moment where it was just like, oh, my God, it's the guitar I've always wanted. You know, like this yeah. is everything from functionality standpoint with all, you know, the little knobs and levers that you have with the pickup activation and deactivation or going if you want to use the humbucker, go single coil. Like the the Jaguar is a guitar that allows you to have that kind of breath in tone with just the guitar before you even touch the amp. Mm -hmm. And just like playing around with all of that and then playing it into my amp system, which is something like I appreciate CME doing, is like if you're really interested in a, in either an amp or a guitar, the, like you're allowed to bring in your equipment and like play around oh, with yeah, it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Know? Um, like proofs in the button, like you got to try it out. Mm -hmm. And we saw a lot of shit remotely too. So it's, we have a, I'd say a pretty liberal return policy. I mean, we protect ourselves from, you know, people abusing that and like trying to rent gear and everything or right. you know, it can't come back scuffed up or anything. And most that's a very, very rare occurrence. Everyone is really, really cool about that. But, 
um, you never know until you try it out, like through your setup, you know, yeah. at your house, through your rig or with your band at practice. Totally. So. Um, and, and like, that's one of the things I wanted to dive into, especially now that we are in COVID times and I, I the shop is open limited, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right we now. do have a capacity. Um, um, we're always encouraging appointments, but you know, if somebody walks up and needs a pack of strings, we let them in, mm -hmm. of course. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly different. I mean, we're certainly a, a destination shop. Mm -hmm. So people come in from all over the world to check us out. You know, major artists come in just to see the place. Um, and it's it's way different Yeah. now than, you know, how it used to be. And before we would have literally hundreds of people come in on any given day. Mm -hmm. Like we had, a, we had an event with Bootsy Collins a few years ago and there had to be like, 400 people in the store and there's like a line like going past Belmont like it's uh-huh um so it's it's certainly different now because we will have a line out the door on you know just about every other day so it's it's different but um we're getting a lot of really good feedback everyone is you know really understanding and super uh I don't know respectful sounds too formal but like you know everyone just kind of gets it so everyone's masked up everyone's using a ton of hand sanitizer mm -hmm. We can't sanitize the guitars themselves, so that's a right. whole other thing. That um, everyone's been super on board and really easy to work with, and just it's it's awesome to have people back into the shop and yeah, people bringing in stuff to sell us or to trade and just uh, being able to try stuff out. Yeah, with COVID, I know you said you have a pretty lenient system where you let people bring stuff home and try stuff out, but is that really? How much, how much more are people buying things online now as opposed to coming in? And how do you help someone navigate that realm? Because as we said, when you're buying, an, especially acoustic guitars too, that's really like every guitar feels different and it feels yeah. different in someone's hands. So how do you really capture that and make sure someone's trying as much as they can and getting that experience in store, but buying online? Um, so it, it really just kind of depends on the situation. I mean, a lot of the... A lot of the times I'll have a really good relationship with this remote customer. Mm -hmm. um, and I just kind of have, I know what they like. And it, you, it's not sometimes as granular as, oh, because it has this type of wood and the neck is this specific dimension. It just has a thing to it. And you can't necessarily put words to it, but it's like, oh, I, uh, this, this dude, this is his guitar. I'm going <laughs> to gonna hit them up. Um, so it's just kind of developing relationships with the people that are reaching out to you and just really truly trying to get an understand of what it is that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the times that conversation is like, don't buy a guitar. Like I, I don't have anything that's going to check all these boxes for you. So don't, don't buy something and just not be thrilled with it. And then either mm -hmm. want to return it or just resent it for however many years you hold on to it. Uh -huh. um, so that's part of it too, is just, you know, it's not always, about you know trying to sell it's uh one of my coworkers had he put it in the best perspective is like you just have to be an advocate for the person reaching out to you mm. um and i think it's really it just boils down to truly understanding what it is that person is looking for mm -hmm. and knowing what i have available and how it'll match up as well yeah. too so i guess we can kind of lead this into a two-part question so for people who don't live in chicago what is uh, Chicago Music Exchange and how does it differ from maybe uh, another 
uh, music store that they're familiar with, whether that's Guitar Center, Sam Ash, or even Sweetwater for that matter? Well, I, when you, it's already a niche community. So mm -hmm. when you say guitar stores that other people are familiar with, you know, if you're not a guitar player, it's you just name them all. Maybe Sweetwater. Maybe somebody knows about Sweetwater, but like, mm -hmm. you know, Guitar Center and Sam Ash, they're the only stores that have commercials. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's already a niche specialty community. You know, not a ton of, it's, it's not for everybody. Um, however, COVID has actually, you know, kind of proved me wrong because we just had a huge influx of people buying guitars and we're at a point right now where demand is through the roof and supply is simply super low. So interesting. A lot of people are getting into it, which is awesome, but it's already a niche community. Um, and with Chicago music exchange versus a place like guitar center, or Sam Ash, it's, it's a, it's a one location store. And that's, I think, one of the biggest differences right off the bat. Um, but we, with that, you kind of have this leniency and autonomy to stock what you like. Mm -hmm. So we specialize in high-end and vintage, and that's a huge part of our inventory. And we love having it because it just adds, I think, to the, to the character and kind of the caliber of the store that we are. Um, that is, we still stock $200 guitars, mm -hmm. you know, but it's we're very particular about it. we're almost most we we throw our more affordable stuff kind of under a finer microscope than our more expensive stuff just because there's a million options for somebody that wants to get a, a cheap affordable guitar mm -hmm. um but like maybe 10 percent of them are good maybe 10 percent of the ones that are out there are actually good instruments so it's mm -hmm. you know we we stock like maybe four or five different $200 guitars, because like, these are the ones that are worth a damn. These are the ones that are gonna last. Like, these will work for you if this is your budget. Mm -hmm. um, so um, also too, just like the selection, it's um, somebody kind of had a moment where they, uh, they were picking out a guitar and they wanted a strap. And I, right outside of our acoustic room is uh, to the right of there, that's where all of our straps are. And they just happen to be underneath um, all of our Rickenbacker guitars mm -hmm. and most shops. I think if you walk in, they'll have like one, two, three Rickenbackers. And, you know, we, we typically have about two dozen on the floor at any given time. So, um, I'm like, Oh yeah, just uh, head out there. I'll pack this up. Uh, all the straps are underneath our Rickenbacker wall. And he was like, Holy shit, you have a Rickenbacker wall. <laughs> so it's, um, also just kind of going after the best of the best in addition to just like the best guitars out there also for the money. Mm -hmm. um, and just having uh, a selection of inventory that like, I don't have to field a phone call where somebody asks about something and I'm like, ah, oh, that thing's a piece of shit. But I don't want to say <laughs> it over the phone, you know, because uh -huh. I don't want to diminish their value of the purchase. But mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know, that's, that's, that's a good question. I think a lot of other guitars, guitar stores operate differently. You know, and I don't, I, I don't work there, so I don't know. I can't speak to what somebody else is doing. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of places are doing a really good job. Um, and in terms of independent guitar stores, places like Gruen and Carter, um, Elderly, uh, those are all uh, norms as well, too. These are all shops that kind of do the same thing that we do, um, maybe on a smaller scale in terms of their square footage or amount of inventory. But um, there's a lot of really, really good shops out there, and especially when you're a vintage guitar enthusiast, you have a lot of really good shops going after the same caliber of shit. So it's, you know, I know for a fact, like most of my high-end vintage customers don't exclusively shop with me because I'm not always gonna have the, you know, the 
you know, brand spanking 61, 335, like with clay dot inlays, that's, a, you know, that's going to be over at Carter and I can't get that, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, and all these shops kind of like breweries, like everyone has a really good relationship. You know, all of these shops that I'm speaking of right now, it's, we'll, we always help each other out. And, uh, you know, it's really funny. We'll have a guitar that'll be on the wall for a year and we discount it and discount it and discount it. We can't get rid of it. And then we'll just sideways sell it to a place like Carter and then they'll throw it up for twice as much and it'll sell in a week. <laughs> so it's, um, it us comparatively to the big box stores, like you're always going to get a human being when you, when you pick up the line and. I don't know of anybody at Guitar Center that's an ex, uh, an acoustic guitar, you know, specialist or somebody that like uh -huh. just hones in on one thing. It's over there. You're kind of forced to focus on drums and synths and all this other shit, and you kind of spread yourself thin in that regard. So, and not many other stores like can you walk into and then the person working there can say I designed this guitar that's behind me or or this one or I handpicked the woods for it, and you could pull out your phone and like show them pictures of you at the factory handpicking the raw wood for the finished guitar yeah that they're holding so um yeah we just try to stock the coolest guitars that we can and try to help people out the best we can yeah yeah is so helping people is a little bit different in this time uh, mm -hmm. as you were mentioning like you're helping people online you're having uh the way that you're interfacing with people is a little bit different, but you are finding that uh, because it is uh, high end instruments, much like like higher end craft beer, your community is still kind of small as well. Oh, big right? time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we sell five thousand, ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollar and up guitars. That's certainly not for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but that community, there's still a lot of people who I just assume have been lucky enough to still be employed, um, mm -hmm. either are trying to pick up something new. And a lot of people, even for their first guitar, get a super expensive guitar. Mm -hmm. Just fuck it. You know, why not start <laughs> on the best thing possible? Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's still a, a situation to where we can't keep enough stuff in stock at the moment and other manufacturers can't build us enough guitars or ship them to us quickly enough. Is the is this linked to the pandemic in some way as far as like uh, a slow in production because of- Oh, uh, 100%. Okay, so yes, that's absolutely. part of it. And is another part of it also the fact that uh, there's repute for this store and because of the specialization of it, that people will go for something like that instead of a big box store? Um. Well, yeah, because of the fact that we um, it just can't keep stuff in stock and people will call it. It's also like a big discount industry. It's a lot like, you know, everyone's looking for the best deal they can. And mm -hmm. it's the first time ever that, you know, regulars of mine who can just are used to getting, you know, a pretty solid discount, just pay full price now because I don't know when I'm going to get another one of these in. Mm -hmm. Um but people coming to us, it's, uh, I, I also really can't kind of speak for the customer. Um, you know, going to us versus a big box store, I think that we provide insanely better customer service. That sounds so like kitschy to say, but um, I worked at Guitar Center for, for a while. Um, mm -hmm. And if somebody was buying a $4,000 guitar and wanted it set up with a particular set of strings, like 
I had to charge them for the strings and I had to charge <laughs> them for the setup uh -huh. for the guitar that was just like shipped to us in a box and is like is, it, yeah in shit condition and needs, you know, a lot of elbow grease to get into working order. Um, and I think our customers, uh, and it, well, just any customer can because a lot of other stores do that too, but it's just it, taking care of somebody, you know, just not mm -hmm. trying to nickel and dime somebody and, you know, it, when you buy a guitar, how do you want it set up? What strings do you want set up? With, you mm -hmm. know, and a lot of people will assume that when I ask that, I'm going to charge them more money for it. Um, <laughs> so it's, I, I hope people enjoy that. You know, I don't ask many of my customers why they shop with us versus a big box store. I'm just kind of thankful that they do. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. um, good question, but I don't want to speak for anybody. Else. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but to the first part of the question, so there is a slowdown in production as a mm -hmm. result of the, of the pandemic. How do you see that as a retailer? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there are a lot of instances uh, that are super frustrating. I, I would say COVID or not, um, having to rely on a manufacturer is the worst part of the job. Um, because you come to me, you want to order a custom guitar. We put the order in and then the manufacturer says it's going to be six months and then six months go by or then another year, then another year and a half. And it's, you gave me all of your money for this thing though. Right. You know, so it's, it's trying to be a liaison for the customer for this manufacturer that I have a working relationship with, but who may or not have dropped the ball on something. Um, and, and most people who buy high-end guitars are kind of aware that ETAs are all always to be taken with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that in and of itself is just one of those quotients you don't have any control over, and there's nothing you can do. Like, there's so many things within my job that I have control over, and I can make sure go well and correct, but that's, that's the one thing. Like, you're just kind of shit out of luck. Um, so with COVID, especially now too, um, we had a huge batch of guitars that we ordered that were exclusive to us. And you know, they're about 1500 bucks a piece and we ordered a couple hundred of them. And it was about uh, like a six month lead time. We have them all up for pre-order on our website. We pre-sold a shit ton of them. Everyone's super excited about this. And like maybe the week before they're about to arrive, the manufacturer said, no, no sorry, it's gonna be another six months. <laughs> Wow. So, and then just having to have that conversation with, with customers. Um, mostly everybody is super understanding, but it's, you know, we give a lot of people refunds. It's, mm -hmm. That wasn't part of the deal that I told you. So, you know, it's, it's not fair of us to keep people's money for stuff like that. So mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the worst part because they're also working as hard as they can too. Like none of these companies are trying to screw us over. Right. By any means. It's, you know, no one has experienced anything like this before. So I empathize with them for sure. Um, but yeah, I, most of these companies were shut down for a few months at a time and now are at like a 50, 60% capacity. Mm -hmm. So they had, you know, a really long time of not making guitars and now they're trying to make all of that up in addition to orders that occurred to. during that time with a skeleton crew. So it's... Uh -huh. Yeah, um, I think everyone's kind of scratching their head as to how this is going to be normal. But it's getting better. You know, we're, we're getting guitars and it's uh, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but it uh, it sucks. But we're getting through it. Yeah, <laughs> kind of to, to just to be frank. But, you know, uh, it could be a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. 
I think there's this, um, I really like, it, it's encouraging to me that we're talking about guitars and not being able to keep up with production because there was what I call the guitar hero boom of guitar sales. Mm -hmm. And then there was, uh, after that EDM music kind of took over the music scene and there was a direct link to more, uh, turntables and electronic producing software going on the market as opposed to guitar sales going out. From our conversation, it seems like that paradigm's kind of shifting again. Do you feel that? Do you feel like you saw that as a whole? A hundred percent. And even, you know, I was selling guitars through the EDM spike as well, too. And it's just, people are always going to play guitar. Mm -hmm. It's just this, you know, quintessential part of our country's history um, with popular music for the better part of a century. And I think mm -hmm. it's, I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. Um, yeah. And even, you know, throughout that thing, you have people like love him or hate him, John Mayer, who is selling a shit ton of guitars just uh -huh. by being himself and making that music. And people come in and want to play John Mayer likes. And that's awesome. If that gets you into it, so be it. Play like, banana pancakes every morning. Seriously. Right? Yeah. Like, that's, get that's, people into it. That's another great example. Because during that EDM movement, you have people like Jack Johnson or like Jason Mraz and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of the top 40 type thing, but they're still guitar players and right. people see that and pick up guitar because of that. Um, but even still too, like now I think bands like Nirvana are kind of taking place of like the Led Zeppelin because it's, you know, kind of cyclical. So, yeah, you know, 10 years ago it was your late sixties, like seventies rock that was like super big in guitar stores. Totally. And now people are just playing Nirvana riffs and, <laughs> you know, like old grunge stuff. So it it's totally cyclical, but I mean, I've never really seen a huge shift to where, you know, some artists are like St. Vincent drops a record and then we have like 20 people outside the door. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, um, I think guitar is always going to be in fashion. I do think um, uh, it, like highlighting pop music because I do love dabbling in it. And um, I saw Katy Perry on Warp Tour and she had a full band. And then I saw her on the Teenage Dream Tour, which, um, as everyone has heard multiple songs from that record, there's a lot of electronic on that. It's less focused on actual instrumentation. Um, but on that tour, she had a full live band. And I just remember in my guitar playing infancy, watching these guitar players up there just smashing these riffs and adding mm. cool guitar solos and licks into these songs that aren't on the record and totally improvising over these songs that are already literal masterpieces, but like adding another layer that just gives subtle nuance to all the musicians in the crowd. Not many at a Katy Perry show, but you know. Hey, you were there. I was there, and I also think of all the young kids who were there seeing a live band behind one of their idols, like that helps so much with, oh, absolutely. with pushing live and like actual music playing abilities forward, right? You move forward one more tour and her, Lady Gaga, Taylor Swift even too, who all had these live bands now, they're still playing with them, but they're not seen on stage anymore. Like they're behind. Mm. And I think for me, that kind of hurts because I know they're playing the music, they're still there. It's You can tell when it's a band and it's a backing track. And I felt, the audience was the audience was almost cheated from an experience by not seeing the band and it gave me more of like a fear of where the direction of pop music's going and the more like uh 
a more focus on the the star, the person, and everything else is just kind of it's you know it's in the back. I I totally agree with you, and I think people like you and me would then not maybe enjoy a Katy Perry concert <laughs> as much as we would have two years ago mm-hmm. um, without the band. But um, it's a different appeal because for every guitar player that's in the crowd who's missing out on actually seeing the band that's under the stage now, you know, maybe there's some kid that's super into dance or choreography that's now experiencing this like stage show that has True. like a big open floor. So, it, you know, I think it all boils down to like what the artist wants to do. And if they want to go for a more visual thing, you know, it's a show after all. So that's why you take, right. you know, this three and a half minute song that's like blasted over the radio and then you add like a two minute guitar solo to it. It's like because the song goes to like one, four, five. I mean, it's a gr- right. it's a really simple, easy chord structure, and you like shred a bunch of licks over that. That's probably super fun, and of course, it's going to sound awesome. Mm-hmm. So like now, it's you have this easier time of filling this like two hour hole on stage, and it's super engaging <laughs> for you know that's not the only but but it's like super engaging, and it's just you know oh yeah, Katie Berg, she she fucking rocks, man. Like I went mm-hmm. to the show and like shredding. Was that crazy. was my takeaway from Warp yeah. Tour. I was like, God damn, like what, like. That's crazy. It's just, you know, I think (laughs) a different artistic expression. And that sounds also like an audience-based decision as well, too, as far as getting on Warp Tour. You want to have something that's going to... Yeah, not that, 100%. Not, not yeah. that everyone on Warp Tour is going to see their favorite punk band rip solos, (laughs) but... That's their interpretation of what that audience may be interested in as well, too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, No, I mean, I because we still... Like Billie Eilish just released her on Fender ukulele and she sold thousands of them. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. So, I mean, no, I I just think like the actual instrument and like learning it is, you know, always going to be in style. Because even to make electronic music, you need to have... You need that foundation. You do. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I agree. And like it, it does. I know I keep, I'm not trying to bash on electronic music because I I do think it does have a really good purpose because it pushes music forward. If there was no electronic music, a a lot of people just don't like, they don't like rock now. And I I don't know why that shift has happened, but if you're going to keep music alive and music will certainly always be alive, there's got to be that genre that's pushing forward. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, like before it's all, you know, just new shit because like since rock and roll has come out, now you have all these other you have electronic music, you have hip hop, you know, you have dance music, you have all this other stuff. And like before rock and roll, you had like ragtime and doo-wop, like doo-wop and show tunes. So, I mean, like talk to, like, I I wish that I could have been the kid that listened to like Black Sabbath for the first time to like (laughs) put on headphones. And like, if that was the heaviest thing to have ever existed, Uh like to kind of get that context, do you think of the archetypal, like, Christian mother or father that won't let their kid listen to these like satanic rock music albums. (laughs) You know, it's just, that was the thing before then too. And it's, um, there's going to be different shit always. And it will, at least I hope so. Um, Mm. you know, it's up to the next genius to decide what the next genre or like direction is going to be. Yeah. It is interesting to think about. And I think of, uh, all our, all our favorite Swedes, uh, (laughs) what, what they're going to, but Max Martin's been doing the same thing for, we're going on 20 years, you know? And, I shouldn't say that because if you look at his early 90s stuff and you look at what's coming out now, it is totally different and it's changed with the spectrum of what is popular now. But if you look at outside of voicing and instrumentation, the actual way the songs are structured, so similar. Yeah, I think that's part of the signature of a lot of songwriters is Mm -hmm. that there is 
something unique about what they do, whether it's a sound that evolves over time and picks up new elements of uh, whatever contemporary popular music is, or there's like a signature structure or like, um, if you look at someone like Shellback, for example, say, yeah. he's uh, he's a percussive person at heart, Super. and you can hear that immediately in all of his music. Is that there's something rhythmically that sets uh, his music apart from uh, from other uh, other songwriters? Totally. And like uh, last year when we were chatting, it, it, he he structured 1989 in a way that was uh, for Taylor Swift, and I was like everything about like that sound on that album transformed who Taylor Swift was, right? Like she went from this country pop artist to a total pop artist, right? And he developed that whole, everything from the sound to like the rhythms too. And that sound then, it wasn't so much his anymore, it's now Taylor Swift's percussive sound. Ultimate, yeah. Ultimately, it is the, it, it, the musician has to own it in the end, right? Right. I, I mean, to a degree, like people are familiar with how like influential producers are mm -hmm. like people know, you know, it's, it's Eminem and Dr. Dre mm. for his older race. You know, I think people are aware of the production on the back end of thing, especially um, like Mark Ronson, I think is a great example. Definitely. You know? Um, so, but yeah, it's still like most people are just going to equate that to Taylor Swift. Right. If you're, if you're taking the, the, the media masses, which yeah. you hear these songs like, yeah, that's face value Taylor Swift. Mm. And she's owned that percussive. Granted, it is Shellback producing the drums on those subsequent albums, but like they now have this defined sound for what that artist is going for, right? And mm. so continuing to develop it, but also maintain that sort of familiarity too is the key with pop music and especially. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a formula to it, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, but it's not, it, it's formula plus creativity. Uh -huh. with timing absolutely you know, hoping you're hitting the right ears at the right year and shit so right year and like making your voice and your album stand out in the context of all the pop albums coming out that year is, yep. is always interesting and i i always equate i go back to katie perry he, uh she hit the peak and then she released an album with you know same year as all the other giants and it hit a little less did it again all the major hitters in the female pop category you know did albums again and she like keeps going down this like it feels like she's not hitting the charts as much as she is and i think it's because all these other pop artists are either continuing to work with the people that they have been working with and develop a sound that progresses them whereas i feel like she's trying to do that but she's not really communicating it in the best of ways oh so like i was gonna ask if it's like is it going in a like a different, more like raw direction. Perhaps I haven't listened to her recent stuff. It's but. definitely uh, like a hallmark to her was always you could hear the keyboards, you could hear the guitars in the background, and now you're you're more listening to it is almost electronic music at like oh, okay. as a whole, which I think is an interesting direction for someone who started out so raw in the beginning. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't know, trying something different. You know? Yeah. I don't know, and you know when. I, I just imagine it gets repetitive doing the same shit over and over and over again. There's so many so bands, so many bands that could just have the same quintessential sound and they just do that. You know, like I, the Misfits is a great example. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the original, like the, if Glenn Danzig recorded like two more records with the Misfits, like they, 
there's a good chance they would have sucked. Like they would have been really bad. But there's just like this finite amount of content out there <laughs> with this sound, and uh, you know, uh, people just get bored doing that. Unless if you're ACDC. Yeah, but it's still fucking <laughs> rock. You know. yeah. Yeah, you, you it's different when that. it's rock and roll. Yeah. yeah. We never change. Yeah. Really? It, uh, yeah, it's tough. I mean, like, I, I can't recall any cringe from ACDC. Like, I, I, there could be some that I'm just not familiar with. But, uh-huh. you know, there's so many other artists out there that you just, there's these famous, like, super cringy moments of them, <laughs> like, still trying to go at it. Uh-huh. Uh, I do think that, yeah, no, you're right. I remember when they took that hiatus throughout the whole like 2000s era and they came back in what, 2009 or something like that. And they hit, they just dropped an album. And I mean, at the time I was like really into ACDC and I heard this lead single and I was like, this is better than shit they were putting out in the seventies. Like what the hell? Yeah. I thought at least, you know, and, um, then the album came out and as a whole, I was like, man, like, they're doing the same thing. Nothing has changed. Like it's, you've changed. That's the thing. <laughs> but I thought it was no. I'm saying like it was good. Is what I'm saying. Like I know I've changed, but it, 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 like how do you? You've done the same guitar tones. Well, they're making the same, the same beer. It's just uh, your palate's changed. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. It, it's a simple formula. And yeah, it just it just fucking works. It you does. Know, just a simple. It's it's pop music. It's pop music with super loud guitars. Yeah, and like crazy heavy drums, and somebody screaming his fucking head off. Yeah, like it's just a different medium, but it's still pop music. Mm-hmm. It's one four five, and it's absolutely just super fun, energetic shit. And mm-hmm. it just works every time. Like you just can't go wrong with it. Maybe you needed some ACDC in your life at that point. Oh, I did. And they brought something. Maybe that you, I need some now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like no one, it's like you, no one, I think, dislikes ACDC. Those it, are people who are afraid to admit they like exactly. ACDC. That it's is just, what it is. I'm it sorry. Is, it, they have a formula and it just works. And I think it's just objectively pleasing to the ear. If you tell me when Thunderstruck comes on, you immediately turn it off because you don't like that song. Fuck you. You're lying to me. Like you are. Yeah. That song just gets you amped. You're trying to be that dude in the room who thinks you're above, above everything. everything. Yeah. I think that's that's what ACDC, Led Zeppelin, like all these really big bands who were big in the 70s. That's what that's where that guy in the room comes in. He's like, oh, well, uh, what what is the antith- antithesis to ACDC? Like, uh, oh, oh. Good one. Thin Lizzy. Oh, you like ACD? I like Thin Lizzy. So, mm, fuck you. Yeah. And like, cool, yeah. Thin Lizzy? Awesome band. Another really good 70s yeah, pop rock like, band. But like, so I've met some really <laughs> weird Thin Lizzy people. There's some weird Thin Lizzy people <laughs> out there too, yeah. Great band, but again, like, not to determine like whose success is bigger, but like, yeah, ACDC follows a formula, but like, they are better songwriters. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Thin Lizzy is a more complicated band. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, Thin Lizzy wasn't able to, you know, they're not going to sell out Wrigley Field. What was right. it, like, five, six years ago, whenever they did that? Yeah, it was, it was a while ago. You know, it's, it's just one of the, less is more. Mm-hmm. Less is more. And that's, that's what well, adds that's the That's the lesson of pop music. Less is more. Yeah, exactly. Always. Always. Um, so, I love this music conversation. Let's keep it going. You are a musician, a lot of people who work at CME are musicians. Um, 
how is CME tied into the Chicago music scene? Um, because not only do a lot of people work there, but a lot of Chicago musicians turn to CME for either advice when looking for gear or um, whatever it might be. So how, how closely do you relate CME to the Chicago music scene? Oh, I think, uh, I think very closely. Um, we, we work with, you know, some, some Chicago legend, uh, the Chicago legends that I'm taught, like that was supposed to be a really cool sentence and I <laughs> fucked up the, okay, you can restart. <laughs> <Go down. Yeah. laughs> no, I think you need to leave that in there. Um, uh, no, I, I get to work with some of my heroes, you know, Jeff Tweedy, um, one of our, uh, amp companies, uh, Brian Karstens, he made an amp with Billy Corgan. Mm -hmm. Um, we have really, really close relationships with, uh, most of the venues, uh, in the city. So we try to be as involved as we can. Um, you know, and it's just it, it kind of on a, on an opportunistic base, you know, who needs help when, and what do they need? Mm -hmm. You know, we provide backline for a lot of the venues, uh, in the city. Um, and I, I guess like, I, I kind of forget about it because there's all the Chicago musicians that come in and I just kind of forget that they're Chicago musicians. Like they're just, <laughs> or not even like Chicago musicians. They're just like kind of customers and clients. And like, we're just talking about guitars and I like, you can have the same type of conversation with like, it, it's not so much what, like how many people somebody's going to play to, or if it's somebody that's, uh, you know, just playing in their bedroom and they're just, you know, they have a nine to five and they just want to play guitar when they get home. It's, I, I actually kind of totally disassociate the two. Um, so I, I kind of forget that the Chicago community, the Chicago musician community aspect is kind of a thing of it because it's, it's kind of all bleeds into the people are just looking for guitars and that's, that's just what you do. Um, yeah. but, uh, we try to be as involved as we can. Um, I, I hope the venues feel the same way that we do, you know, but, um, yeah, it's, it, could we do more? Of course. Um, but we just, I don't know. It's, you don't want to accost people and say, you know, put a banner, you know, how can we, you know, put our name all over this is you don't want to do it. You just want to have something to offer to fill a, a void to people. So, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it is just like having beers with people that work at these places. It's, you know, yeah. we're just, you know, kind of acquaintances and friends. So it's, you know, and I, I know all these people, so it's just kind of, yeah. uh, we have just kind of show up and we can. Yeah. I think that brings up an interesting point and we kind of touched on it earlier too, is like, um, the music community as a whole is very, you know, it's about building those connections and building um, kind of this community around the music scene in Chicago, whether you're involved in the folk grass music scene or you're in the metal or rock scene, you know, it's uh, everyone is trying to do their own thing, especially when you're talking music in Chicago as an underground scene. No one's really trying to make or break it. You know, it's it's more they're doing it for the love of doing it. And so. Uh, not everyone, not everyone, <laughs> but like a, a large, I guess I just go to a lot of underground shows at like Coles or the bottle where it feels like people yeah. really aren't trying. They're doing it because they love it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so forming that connection, having that beer and just chatting about music, whether you're doing the same genre or not, um, I feel like CME is a good starting point for a lot of people to build that connection of just, uh, we're all coming from the same kind of place, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, we're, 
I think at best we can kind of be a fulcrum for the community in that regard. So a, a friend of mine is looking for a drummer and then a drummer friend of mine comes in and says like, I need a fucking band to play with. It's like, oh, well, you know, I've done tons of like kind of connecting those people mm -hmm. to and fro. Um, a lot with teachers too. Like we don't have a lessons facility, but I just, I have a roster of friends in the back of my head that are all educators and like based on the person that's asking for lessons, it's like, uh, all right, you don't want this person, you want this person. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I I hope so. I hope people feel that way. Um, I, I can think of just a lot of instances of where like, oh, holy shit, you need to meet this person. And mm -hmm. I connect these two people on whatever project. Yeah, I think the reason I bring this up is because I know we're in the modern age now and every musician knows there's hundreds of pages online for like whatever area you're in, like that musician scene, right? Whether it serves a, a good purpose or not, I feel like where you're really going to get the best results is what people did in the 90s, 80s and 70s when they were looking for musicians. You I mean, ultimately, ad, you find like minded people and ad, ad a yeah. music and where you're going to find that is exactly in the place where everyone has that commonality. Yeah. And I guess that's where I was trying to get, you know, is like you're you are a center point in Chicago for that reason. Right. And whether you have like a, a musician wanted board or not at CME, it's those discussions you have with people. And like you said, building those connections. Yeah, it's uh, we get all types of people coming to us, you know, looking for and looking to talk about all different types of things. So it's I think it's just inevitable for me to remember somebody else talking about the thing that this person either has or is looking for that the other person is trying to find or get rid of. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Should we talk about beer for a second? I think so, before yeah. I drain this. Yeah, <laughs> we have uh, one of the beers we have is from a uh, Chicago brewery that themes its uh, beers and taproom aesthetic on music, Crunch. hence the uh, Hence the choice, uh, in, whether incidental or not, <laughs> um, uh, from microphone, um, and Vicky it's a okay. yeah, it's a collaboration with the brewery, which is a brewery in Southern California, uh, also a brewery that makes big ass beers. Um, I should uh, give a shout out to uh, Thad. Thank you for this bottle. Uh, this is uh, being appreciated immensely. Thank you, Thad. Yeah, yeah. thank um, you very much. But yeah, I, I think this is a, a it, you know, big ass dark beers are a perfect thing this time of year. And uh, with this is with uh, coffee aged on Heaven yeah. Hill barrels. Thad, um, if you if you call Chicago Music Exchange and ask for Carl, I'm going to send you a free T-shirt. Yeah, call me at <laughs> Chicago Music Exchange. This is for Thad, whoever sent us this bottle. And I'm going to give you a T-shirt. Well, he's a musician, so I'm sure he'll I'm appreciate sure he'll it. love that. <laughs> Yeah. How did you uh, how did you find beer? Because you also brought um, a uh, some cans of Rogue's Dead Guy, which was uh, an early beer for me as well. Like, at, oh, really? In my, uh, yeah. Like, I think those uh, like Rogue was one of those second wave like American craft breweries, one of the first to really do nationwide distribution. Um, and I remember uh, Dead Guy being one of those first beers for me as well. And definitely like my first exposure to a lager that wasn't a Pilsner or like a Hellas or like a lighter lager. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the time that I first had Dead Guy Ale, I had no idea the difference between an ale or a lager. <laughs> super, super 
uh, remedial understanding of beer. I was 19 and like living in a shitty apartment in Chicago and just getting drunk all the time. So that it was like the first time I think I got like a, a slightly higher paycheck. I used to work at the soup box and I basically got paid in soup. Um, so to like buy a $10 six pack of beer was like, Oh, holy shit. Um, but yeah, it was just, I, I've been, you know, partying for a while. So like I was drinking all throughout high school and shit like that. But um, it was the first beer. And I think it just like you said, it's <clears throat> I think one of the first like commercially available uh, craft beers. So I saw it at Jewel and it was just different and I got it and I didn't know a beer could have that much flavor. And I was just kind of hooked like right right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, I haven't had it in like six or seven years, but you guys said to like bring a beer that like kind of important to me. And like, this is, this is the beer that did it for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I, I honestly remember that coming in, uh, even coming in like larger format bottles too. Uh, I, I remember the branding being really cool of it. It still is like pretty cool branding. Yeah. I think uh, I remember that like jumping out for me quite a bit. It was the bottles. Like I was actually kind of fucked up. I haven't drank this in so long, like to see it in cans. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> I think the can presentation is pretty cool. They had like really sick tap handles yeah, too. It's this Did really you, sick, uh, like yeah. matte black thing. Yeah. It's not shiny. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, Man, that would make a cool tattoo, actually. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have enough dumb tattoos where I'd get that, too. But mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm right behind you. I dig the camp. Yeah. yeah it's uh, it's pretty crazy to think that a, a my box style, like a, a stronger, pale lager, like, would be this thing that would take the country by storm. But I really think that we're not the only ones that, like, Dead Guy was really kind of a, a first exposure or, like, an early exposure to yeah. craft beer. So, in McHenry, this was one of the few uh, cans that stuck out to me and my buddy Josh. And this was, again, one of the first, just because of that dude. We were, he's he's into punk rock, I'm into metal. We were like, that's the beer. Same thing, yeah, you know, exactly. Like, I went to uh, an art school. So yeah. <laughs> it was like, you know, I went to school for to play guitar. And, um, and yeah, it was like, it, oh, fuck. Yeah, like that that dude just stands out to you. you. Like the the cool thing about it is like there's no like label. You don't know what you're buying, right? No, because the you're buying the brand. You're buying this the brand. was the only <laughs> thing that was on the bottle. It didn't yeah. say like it, well, I mean, if it said my box, I wouldn't know what the fuck it was uh-huh. like at the time. Like I was just 19 and looking to get drunk, and that was cooler <laughs> than Coors Light. Uh, but I, yeah, it's just kind of <laughs> like oh fuck, beer can taste like this. Yeah. No, that's how we felt too. So it was, yeah. yeah, it's interesting how this is like that same experience for everyone, you know? I, uh, no, I had this like pale bucket thing. There's just like metal bucket and we would have a ton of house parties all the time and I would buy a six pack of Rogue and then I would keep that six pack in the bucket full of ice, like hidden in my bedroom closet. Cause it was like fucking gold to me. Mm. Is that like, uh-huh. who can afford, you know, $10 six pack at that time, but. <laughs> I have forty thousand dollars in debt. Shouldn't got, be doing this. Yeah, I got yeah. paid in soup. You know. <laughs> I'm getting paid in soup. I don't know where my next non-soup meal will come from. <laughs> Ooh, no, it was all soup. It was all soup. <laughs> I will say, if I could eat soup every day, I would. I, I've got no beef with soup. I fucking oh, it was love great soup. because there was all like we would just get like a shit ton of bread in, and then there was always a different soup. And yeah, I don't think my roommates and I ever went grocery shopping. I would come home like fucking. I would steal gallons of soup. <laughs> <laughs> as uh, one does 
I'm sorry, Jamie Tannenbaum, my old boss from Suitbox. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Our, uh, I, I think that there's a, you know, a mentality among people that like work in work in the industry of like higher end guitars or in craft beer, uh, like craft coffee as well. For example, I think there's mm -hmm. like something to be said of um, your mentality and your kind of like intuition towards things um in general when you're working with uh with like your clients and you're fitting people for guitars or having those discussions do you think there's like a, a little outside of like their interest in music um do you see a little bit of like a red thread like among all these people as well I, no, apart from that they know you <laughs> no i mean that's that's the cool thing is it, Fitting people with guitars, like it's it's so interesting to see the type of people that come in and play guitar. All different walks of life, all different folks, all different backgrounds, like all different goals, all different heroes and, and artists and styles that they want to look up to and go. And it's, you know, kind of a forever surprising thing. And that's one of the coolest parts of the job. Um, outside of that, they all like guitar. No, not really. Mm -hmm. um, it's and that's you know kind of going back earlier i think guitar is never going to go out of style it's objectively cool you know Always. when somebody does it well like you just can't not look cool playing guitar well <laughs> so it's something that everybody wishes that they could do um no and that's the best part and i hope to never find that red thread mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah no awesome sick I appreciate that and appreciate you coming in. Um, oh, of course. This yeah, is a blast. Yeah. This has Thank been a blast. So um, I guess we'll see you all next week. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Carl. Um, Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Carl. Where can Thad, we find hit you? Me up. Yeah, yeah. Tad, Thad, find Carl, CME. Where can we find you if you want us to find you on social media? In um, any way? You can find me. Uh, there's the CME Acoustic Room. Um, and that's as it sounds. It's just the letters CME and then Acoustic Room. Uh, and you're just going to find a bunch of pictures of really cool acoustic guitars. Sick. That's about it. All right. All right. I know where I'm going. Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to trash that hotel room. <laughs> All these like ACDC fans got super excited until yeah. they like heard where like my handle was. It's like, ah, oh, shit. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and they're gone. Ah, oh, man. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll see you all next week.